waiting on you, man. <laughs> I haven't heard What's back your best from... 30 second tool clip? I haven't heard oh, back they haven't... from Maynard that he hasn't given me <laughs> permission yet. <laughs> I don't know why he's not returning my calls. It's really getting annoying. How'd you get his phone number? That's what I want to know. Uh, let's not talk about that right okay. now. Hi, everyone, and welcome to What Would My Shrink Say, a podcast where you get inside the heads of a couple psychologists and see life through their eyes. You'll never be the same. Um, so, Nick, you work with uh, anxiety a lot. I do. I work with anxiety and depression a lot. Um, one of the questions, not not a question from a client really, but one that we kind of bump up against a lot is how much control do you really have over your thoughts in both depression and anxiety, which are very common. There's, um, a process of, or a thinking pattern that's, that's a little destructive or, or, uh, distressing, uh, for depression, it's rumination kind of going over and over and over things that have happened in your past or ideas about yourself that are really unhelpful and can be pretty detrimental to your mood and and anxiety there's there's worry a lot of worrying that goes on um so a lot of cognitive kind of processes that are happening that seem to be detrimental to your client um and i and i often kind of seem to be talking about this topic how much control do you really have over some of these processes because it feels like sometimes to the clients they don't have any control over it at all. Yeah. What right. do you think? I think, to be a little cryptic, I think we have both more and less control over our thinking than we think we do. Way to, <laughs> way to be confusing. <laughs> Such so, a psychologist. <laughs> so the, the two you described, rumination, um, which is... And then worry are are two really common thinking patterns, as you said, that show up in in therapy. And in those two situations, I think the common thought is, I, I it just happens. I just start worrying. I, I can't help myself, right? Or I'm ju- I just I, I get start ruminating about this, you know, terrible thing that I did and what a bad person I am, um, and I just get stuck in it. You know, it's like a vicious spiral, um, and I can't I can't get out of it. So there, I, I think in those two cases, it's common that you feel like you don't have very much control over the way you think getting stuck in like cognitive habits or patterns. Right. So I think that's, that's common. But then the other, another common one too, that I I see a lot um, working with anxiety is people thinking they should be able to not have a certain type of thought. So this comes up a lot in obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, But you hear people talking a lot about bad thoughts like I had a bad thought. I was um, I was driving down the road, my family in the car, and the thought just, you know, I had this thought of like, well, if I just, you know, sharply turn the steering wheel 90 degrees to the left, I would drive off the road and kill everybody. Like, I, I, it's awful. I can't have thoughts like that. Like, I, what's wrong with me that I can't sort of like keep those thoughts out? Um, so there, there's the opposite problem of, I think a lot of times we, we, think or expect that we should have a lot more control um, than maybe is realistic. So what I think the implication is that thoughts are, they're neither totally controllable nor totally uncontrollable. And the, the mistake is to assume one or the other. Be more specific in where you think you have control and where you don't. 
So here's a, one of my classic examples of having control over your thoughts. If I tell you, Todd, what is, mm, I don't know, 14 times three? I assume you don't have that memorized. We don't. No. But in, without pa pen or paper, without a calculator or anything, you could probably figure out what 14 times three is, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So if, if, if I'm doing it, I imagine like a one and a four and then a little three underneath the four. And then I, I say, okay, what's three times the four? And in my head, I draw a little arrow, like from the three to the four. <laughs> and that's seven, you know, and then I go, okay, and then three and 12. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Can we edit this out? Nope. 12. Go ahead with 12. We'll just. We'll go with 12. <laughs> We'll say that's right. I wish this was a video podcast because your <laughs> expression on your face when I said that. <laughs> priceless. Anyway, um, now I don't, I really shot myself in the foot there because I don't know if that's an example of thinking I have more control <laughs> than I do. But clearly there, there are some things where, when thinking is a very active, effortful, controlled mm -hmm, experience, mm -hmm. right? Right. So you, there, I think when we all think about it, there are examples of if I say, you know, remember, think about your favorite um, flavor of ice cream, right? You can imagine, you know, mint chip and you can picture, oh yeah, it's that certain shade of green. And you, so there, there's definitely an element in which thinking is controllable. We have a lot of agency sure. in the way we think. Um, but then it, it is also the case that thoughts literally pop into our minds sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just driving down the street and the thought pops into your head, oh shoot, I forgot to pick up bananas at the grocery store. Right. Right. You didn't decide to remember that you forgot the bananas. Right. It just popped into your mind. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So clearly you didn't, you didn't will that to happen. You didn't, you didn't start that process. It just sort of happened. Right. Right. So that's what I mean by we have both, um, we have some control. And in certain circumstances, we have a, a pretty decent amount of control. But then in a lot of situations, we, we don't have much control. So I think that a mistake is to be too black and white about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, does that clarify? Yeah, it definitely does. I think I talk to clients a lot about <clears throat> you, you don't control what your mind kind of gives you sometimes. Um, but you can control more um, what you dwell on, you know. So rumination for example you may not be able to control uh, a thought about your past and, and a memory that you may have about your past um, but you can choose whether to um, kind of take the next couple hours and replay that event over and over and over again and explore all the reasons that it happened and that's probably more within your control than the initial thought that popped into your head now you can you can move your mind's attention away from that and your mind might bring you back and you'll have to you know get well practiced at moving your attention around but yeah i often tell clients we don't have 100% control of our thoughts but we definitely don't have zero either and learning to disengage from thoughts um and move your attention to more productive and useful functional thought patterns is a skill you want to develop I like that a lot. I, I often tell people um, or encourage people to think, f like forget about the degree to which you can control your thoughts necessarily. Because like we've been talking about, thoughts are, thoughts are tricky because sometimes they're controllable and sometimes not so much. 
But what you always have control over, or just about always, is your attention. Right. And I like that most cognitive scientists use the metaphor of a spotlight for attention. So attention, attention is your mind's spotlight. If everything around you is kind of dark, um, but you, you can kind of shine a spotlight on specific things. And so what you choose to focus on or, or attend to is what you're going to end up thinking about. And what you don't focus on is what you're not going to end up thinking about. Mm-hmm. And so we can always, you know, there's always the opportunity to practice and get better at, because in a lot of ways it's like a muscle, um, shifting our attention, either, ho- you know, holding it on one thing, um, despite a bunch of distracting items or moving it away from something that, that has a lot of gravity to it. So when you, when you, when you're worried about, um, getting on the freeway and having a panic attack, all you can, all you can think about is imagining, you know, how fast your heart's going to be beating and how lightheaded you're going to feel. And you know, what the scene of the crash is going to look like when you've, you know, flipped over the median and <laughs> <That's a> pretty <laughs> graphic. <laughs> um, but to be able to pull your attention away from that and to the song on the radio or what you have to get at the grocery store or whatever it is, something else. And that's, that's just a, it's kind of a muscle. It's kind of a mental muscle and it can be hard to, again, certain thoughts have a lot of gravity, you know, especially scary thoughts, for instance, can have a lot of pull to them. Mm-hmm. Um, or painful thoughts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, we've all experienced uh, grief, let's say. And grief is a, a very painful process. And it's hard to distract yourself from grief when you're right in the middle of it. Okay, so that's that's interesting because that's not immediately apparent to me. Like it in both, I mean, I was talking about worry, but I think it's the same with grief. A conundrum is, at least at first blush, maybe you can help me understand this better, is grief is painful. So wouldn't instinctively, we wouldn't we want to avoid that? Like why would we, why would it be so hard not to hold our attention on something that's painful? Oh, like it should be easy to distract to, yourself yeah, from to, grief because it's so miserable you don't want to. It should be hard to focus on grief, you would almost <clears throat> think instinctively, right? Well, I tend to believe that painful emotions are there for a reason. And they're valuable and you need them. Grief is a really interesting process in which you're kind of cementing someone's position in your life that you may have lost. And it's important to go through that process, I think, to kind of, uh, it's a natural kind of social human process to really give that mental space and homage to the person you've lost, hmm. let's say. So it almost sounds like your mind, when you lose someone in your life, your mind knows it's important to think about them, mm-hmm. even if it's painful. Yeah, I think some but, researchers call it a mental mapping that happens. Like, it, it really kind of um, solidifies that person's place in your life. But it, but it, it, that's strange, though, because our mind also, people also say, like, oh, I just don't, you know, I, wanna, I don't want to think about it anymore. You know, like, oh, I, sure. it's too painful. Sure. So why, is our mind doing two things at once? Sure. Like what, oh. Yeah. Our minds are funny things. They, <laughs> <laughs> well, same for fearful thoughts, but that's, right? I don't think that's necessarily obvious to everybody. Um, I, I sort of think a lot of us think of the mind as like, you, you know, y- your body is the ship and the mind is the captain. And mm. your, your mind just sort of says, okay, go this way, go this way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, 
But it sounds like what you're saying is the mind is a little bit more of a committee. And one member may be saying, go this way. And another may be saying, go this way. Well, think of the, one of the most happy times of your life. You know, just because it's happy doesn't mean your mind holds it in place in your mind all the time because it's your greatest memory and you get to just live that all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, no matter what the emotion, your mind will pop in and out of it. But why do you think it is that it... Okay, so let, I'll give you, like, sometimes some of us need to spend more time in something like grief, right? In, in some kind of painful emotion, thinking about something that's that's uncomfortable because it's meaningful, Right? Isn't that what you were saying? I don't. I don't know that some of us need more time. I'm not I'm that. that I, I meant for us more than oh, we want okay. to. Yeah. Oh. Right. More than. Yeah. Um. So maybe I tend to avoid sadness or anything that makes me feel anything approaching grief, and so it might behoove me to to think a little bit more about those things that make me um, sad or upset or maybe um, maybe yeah, it's possible. But what? But what about the situation where you're someone who's worrying? Um, like, again, I use the example of, uh, worried about, you know, what might happen if they get on the freeway and they're worried about if kind of a fear of driving mm-hmm. and they, they just can't, it feels like they can't help themselves, but worry mm-hmm. about this and they, but they know it's just going to make me feel more anxious worrying about it. It doesn't actually help me, but why, why do we do it? Why do we see, feel so like compelled to do something mentally that we know is not helpful in the long run. Hmm. What do you, what do you, what do you make of that? Or, you know, or being like overly self-critical in depression. That's so, a, it's a common thought pattern. Yeah. So you're asking kind of the function. What's the, fu- why, why would we do that? What purpose would that serve? Yeah. And how, I mean, it just, it feels like we're so torn. A part of us knows we, it doesn't want to do this, but then it feels like another part of us really wants to. Hmm. It's like competing. Frustrating. Motivations there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would think there's a reason. I think people with anxiety tend to think that worry on some level does help. You know, if I can identify every possible potential outcome here, maybe I'll be prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and at the same time, realizing this just makes me more and more anxious. This just makes me more and more freaked out. You know, this doesn't this isn't helping at all. You know, I've been doing this for the last past hour. And I'm no closer to a solution. I don't feel better about this. I'm more worked up over it. Yeah. So it's almost like your mind has a couple different theories of what's true. And when there isn't, when you're not totally sure, it kind of bounces back and forth. Yeah. What do I do? But but I think this goes back to people's, you know, coping skills And, and thinking is a great coping skill for a lot of problems. Just not when you're dealing with anxiety usually. It's hard to think your way out of anxiety. And so I think it's a misapplication of a tool that works a lot. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it goes with the, the sort of idea of flexibility, not, not thinking of thoughts as either totally controllable or totally out of our control. Right. Um, but at times we can control them, but that may or may not be helpful, even if we can keep our thoughts on one particular thing that may or may not be helpful in a mm. given circumstance. Yeah. I have, I have a lot of patients with depression who ruminate a lot. We even track rumination, you know, and some of my clients will say, yeah, I ruminated, you know, they, they kind of track it. And they're like for three hours, I thought about um, how horrible it was when I lost this job. And this is the point at which my whole life spun out of control. And here's how it happened. And, and they just relive that over and over and over in their memory for three hours and think about all the 
the terrible things that happened as a result of losing the job. And, and they know they can't fix it. There's no time machine that they can go back and fix that with. They know that after three hours, their mood isn't going to be very positive at all. But they do that. They, they, they want to go back and, and, and or not want to, but there's part of them that just does this behavior, right? This ruminative kind of mm-hmm. behavior. So how do you explain that as a psychologist? Why, why do we do things we don't want to do? Yeah, why do we do things we don't want to do? I've got a couple explanations. Please share. <laughs> the first is, um, it's just habit. So we're all familiar with the idea. When we think of habits, I think when most people think of habits, we tend to think of physical habits. So brushing your teeth is a classic example, or little um, little ticks, like some people kind of twirl their hair, you know, or they kind of tap their foot while they're while they're sitting. And they do this relatively automatically. Like you, no one, I don't, very few people decide I'm going to start tapping my foot. It just kind of happens. But if you happen to notice that you're tapping your foot, you can also stop it, right? So it's important to see that there's this huge middle ground between, one of the better ways to think about thoughts is maybe less controllable or not controllable, but um, sort of automatic to deliberate. Right, and that it, there's this huge middle ground between, you know, perfectly automatic and out of control, and perfectly deliberate and in control. That is just sort of habitual. Like I, you know, you often start tapping your foot a certain way just because it's kind of a habit. When I sit down in a certain chair, that's just sort of what I've learned to do. Um, and so it's it's this fuzzy middle ground of it's sort of under our control and sort of intentional, but also kind of just a habit we can form a habit art and we can do that mentally just like we can do it physically Mm -hmm. i think that's really important is that you may get in the habit of thinking you know if every time um (laughs) you know if every time you walk in a building a really loud noise goes off you're in the the stores and there's like this huge bell ringing sound that goes off right you might think like are people watching me right and you can kind of train yourself to start having thoughts about are people watching me? Mm-hmm. Um, and it can just become a habit. So a lot of these thoughts that just seem to pop up, sometimes they're, they are automatic now, but we, they could have been sort of trained um, at some point. Definitely. So th- thinking of thoughts as habits, I think is a, that they can be, that they operate a lot of times under similar rules that physical habits do. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. I don't know. I, I think that's a non-obvious but important way to think about our own experience. I agree. I, I, I fidget a lot. And, and so yeah, I can click a pen for hours before I really notice I'm clicking the pen. But once I notice I'm clicking the pen, I can go, oh, got to stop that. And I think like worry or rumination can be the same thing. You, you can just find yourself worrying or ruminating. Yeah, I'm doing that again. Yeah. Which is what we really try to, I think, well, what I try to really help clients start identifying. You know, the first step is just, can you start noticing when you do this thing? Um, and often that's enough right. to really help people go, oh, I'm doing that thing again. And, and once you do that, you kind of almost bring it under some control, right? Not complete control, but they can say, oh, I can disengage from this. I can go do something else. I don't have to just sit here for two hours and recount all the terrible things that have happened to me. So that's a great transition though. What happens when awareness isn't enough? Like when you find yourself in a mental habit and you go, yeah, I'm, I'm ruminating. I keep going over and over this mistake I made, but I just can't seem to stop. 
well, why not? Like you, you recognize, okay, this is a habit. I know it's just a habit. Um, I think an important idea to kind of wrap our heads around is that you might be doing something that ultimately is not in your best interest, like ruminating over past mistakes. Thinking about it once or twice is probably helpful. You learn, okay, this wasn't good. I should probably remember not to do this again. But beating yourself up about it every single day for months and months and months, probably not super helpful, right? Probably. But why do we do it? One, uh, an analogy here is why do, we, why do we eat junk food? Why do we have the third helping of ice cream? Speaking from personal experience, <laughs> I know it's not good for me. Right. I I know it's 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 not. It's just not good for me. Right. But I do it anyway a lot of the time. And the reason is fairly obvious. I think it tastes good. So eating ice cream can. And I think this is this is both obvious and subtle at the same time. It can be good and it can have good and bad effects at the same time. Mm-hmm. Or in the same, the same act can lead to both immediate to positive and negative effects. And oftentimes, we fall into the mental habits that, in the short term, might actually be leading to something somewhat positive, even though in the long term, they're pretty negative overall. So you look like you have a question there. So worry feels good. Yeah. Right. Sounds dumb. Right? <laughs> Who would say that worry feels good? I think it does, kind of. And I think if you stop and think about it, you might actually notice that there's a way in which worry does feel good. And my my case for this is it worry, for instance, planning out all the things that might happen to you once you get in the car and get on the freeway. It makes it feel like you're able to do something about what you're scared of. Or that you're doing something. Yeah, it gives you a sense of kind of agency or control. And we all like feeling in control and that we have we have agency and we have we can make a difference. But a lot of times we're faced with situations where we don't have tons of control. When when a loved one dies, you you don't have any control over that anymore. But kind of um continuing to think about them, even though it makes you feel sad, for instance, in the long run, it, it gives you at least a temporary feeling of, I can do something. Yeah. Or, or, or the illusion of control where people kind of say, if only I'd done, if only that mm-hmm. wouldn't happened, if only this wouldn't happened. It does introduce this idea that maybe there was a different outcome possible. Yes. So I think with cognitive mental habits like worry or rumination, where we have this experience of, I know this isn't good for me. Why do I keep doing it? I think when you really stop and think about it, often it follows this pattern of it's not good in the long run, but in the very short term, it does actually give me a little bit of something good. Yeah. Just like eating that third bowl of ice cream. (laughs) Just like that. (laughs) Hey everyone, Nick and I really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Please rate us on iTunes if you get a chance. And if you have any feedback or comments for us, that'd be great as well. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover in the podcast, let us know in the comment section as well. Thanks.